All right, so now we're joined with Derek Mantia of PHNX Sports, and he's the host of the uh, PHNX Sports Diamondbacks podcast. Derek, welcome to the show. We're going to go over the World Series. Congratulations, and let me be the first to tell you, from everybody in New York, especially Mets fans, thank you for taking care of the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> Happy to do that for you. Happy to do that for you. Yeah, no, this has been an incredible journey. Yeah, I, listen, you, I love the, the Diamondbacks in 2001. They took care of the Yankees, who, as a Mets fan, I hate the Yankees. And then this year, you took care of the Phillies. So you, you're, you're, on, you're on our good side here. Um, it's the 119th World Series. It's the first time you guys have been there since 2001. The, Diamond, uh, the, the Rangers are there. It's the first time they're there since 2011, where they had as, as crushing a loss as you could have. That, today's actually the anniversary of that game six. Um, Tell us a little bit, has, has the city bought into this team? Are they in love with the team? Is it a hot ticket this, this week or, or next week, whenever the game is? What, what's going on? Does yeah, the city I, think, love the team? I, I think they do. I think that obviously there was the talk uh, during the series with the Phillies after they lost the first two games where tickets were available at Chase Field for game three of the NLCS for like $12. And that that kind of made people get that feeling that, the Diamondbacks don't have a fan base that they don't have people that were willing to come out. And like, to be fair, uh, that, that it was a two Oh seven start, which is really hard during the middle of the week for people to make it to, but it's the NLCS. So you still gotta, you gotta call out of work. You gotta make those moves if you're a fan. Right. But at the same time, no uh, it was, it was no like excuse. a small section. Yeah, there is no excuse. There's a small section, uh, that was kind of being resold for cheap. And because of that, it, it kind of got the feeling like, you know, the fan support wasn't there. The Diamondbacks fans have been incredible. I think that uh, if, if I'm saying anything negative about Arizona sports fans is we don't have that same diehard mentality out here that East Coast sports fans do, right? So the the one thing that I tend to get frustrated about, and I think sports fans, you know, that have, have kind of grown to embrace the teams in the city is that lack of support during the hard times, right? Like the, the, the stadium is a ghost town when they, you know, lost a hundred games a few seasons ago, which is understandable, but this team has uh, risen from that two seasons ago to be where they're at. And a big part of that is the fact that they just did it through some young guys that they added to this team that are very fun to watch, very easy to root for and get behind. And I mean, honestly, they're, they're just kind of doing things that at this point in their, in their careers, they have no business doing. I mean, right now, especially during this postseason run, it's Gabriel Moreno, Corbin Carroll, and Brandon Fott, three guys who played their first year of professional baseball essentially this year. Gabby Moreno had some time uh, on the Toronto Blue Jays roster last year that disqualified him from his rookie status this year as far as service time goes, but uh, this was his first full year of catching behind the plate like he has, and uh, he was probably just as big of an X factor for this team as Corbin Carroll was. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're an easy team to root for because, one, because they're, they're such an underdog. I mean, nobody expected them to be here. I could see them beating maybe Milwaukee, but then to sweep the Dodgers and the way Corbin yeah. Carroll's playing and, and your closer is Paul Seawold. Trust, trust me, we know Paul Seawold, okay? This is not the <laughs> Paul Seawold we had at City Field, okay? If it was, I don't know, I don't know where this guy came from, but he is, he's, he's pitching great. You got a bullpen that you basically put together towards the end of the season, right? So one of the guys, uh, Ginkle, right. was it, was released from, from Tampa Bay. Another guy basically was a September call-up. And they're coming out. They're an easy team to root for. They're the underdogs. Now, no one's expecting them to win. This has happened before, though. Yeah. Teams have got here, and it could go one of two ways. It could either you get blown out of the, out of the ballpark, 
or you, you, you know, you win the, you win the series and you complete a great story. You're, you're absolutely right about the bullpen. Actually, Kevin Ginkle was kind of one of the more consistent pieces throughout the season. It was Ryan Thompson. That was kind Thompson, of that castaway okay. from the Tampa Bay Rays. And Thompson has been incredible. And again, just like, like what you're saying about Paul Seawald, Paul Seawald was kind of the anchor that set everything into place uh, for the, for the first half of the season and beyond Tori Lavallo was doing a closer by committee, which Seems good in theory until you start realizing that guys in the pen don't know what their role is. They don't know when they're going to be called upon. They don't know when they're going to be asked to pitch in a high leverage situation. Whereas once that trade for Paul Seawald with the Seattle Mariners went down, he he became the piece that we knew was going to be there at the end of the game, no matter what. Uh, Tory said from the minute that they traded for Seawald that he is our closer. So that actually allowed everybody else to kind of fill in and, and know what their role was. And it felt like after that point, the entire bullpen just kind of took off. But you're right. Uh, Andrew Saul Frank was a September call-up that uh, gave up no runs in his, you know, in, in that stretch between that point and, uh, and the end of the season. Ryan Thompson, another guy who was DFA'd, uh, who came over and just was wonderful. And it's like what you're saying about Seawald. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are looking at what these guys are doing for the Diamondbacks and thinking, why, why, could, why couldn't we get that out of them here? Uh, I, I don't really know the answer other than, like with Seawald, it's the experience. Uh, and I also think that pairing him with, with Brent Strom, who's an incredible pitching coach and just one of the most respected minds in baseball, uh, is, is providing some pretty good results. Now, if people don't realize just how unlikely this run is, the the yeah. Diamondbacks lost nine in a row at one point in August. They were basically mm. a, a a can of corn fly ball being dropped that was dropped out in the outfield away from missing the playoffs. Am I am I right about that? Yep, you're absolutely and, right about and that. Then, yep, and then and then they make this run and they, they they sweep the Dodgers, who notoriously are bad in the playoffs. But still, the Dodgers are a hundred win team. They lost the Arizona lost a hundred games two years ago. They got people like Paul Seawald, which I have a category here on this show. I call him former Met, now good. Paul Seawald is right there in that category. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people in that category. You also have Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham, another yeah, one. Yeah. Former Met, now good. And, and, and Tommy Pham's a good ball player, though. What a, you know, he came over. He, he's, a good, he's, he's a professional. He's a good hitter. He's a professional hitter. He's going to give you a good at bat. He's going he's gonna to do the right thing. He's going to make the right play. Now, are these kids, are they kind of just too dumb to, be, to realize what they're doing here? That they're just playing, playing in the L. I, I think sometimes you know, ignorance is bliss, right? So you don't have a chance to really be fearful of the situation. I, I'll give it a step further, though. I think that this team has been playing meaningful baseball games since that point that you're talking about. They had an uh, a historic collapse in July as far as the number of games that they were up above 500. I think 16 games above 500 to drop down uh, to two below uh, the teams that have done that in baseball history are teams. You don't even know the name. I, it goes back to like the 1800s. That's how, that's how long it's been since the team has had as big of a collapse as the diamondbacks did. And I think they were able to rebound that. I think they were able to rebound from that. I think they were able to find a, a bit more of their identity. And I mean, again, sometimes when you go through that and find a way out of it, it galvanizes you as a team. You find a way to just, you know, kind of look at those guys in, in the locker room as uh, differently. Right. Uh, but Tommy fam, I mean, Tommy fam, man, I can't say enough about what someone like him does for a team like this, considering how young and in inexperienced they are. Right. Tommy fam is like, he, he's, 
the number one trash talker on the team, uh, yet it's used as motivational speech. And I think that the young guys respond very well to it. And he has just become another leader in that. Bring a tremendous for being in this league for as long as they have. So to share that with the young guys, that's it's pretty invaluable. Now, let me just warn you, you love Tommy Pham now. Everybody does when he's on your team. He will burn the bridges <laughs> when he leaves, and he, it will be a disaster when he leaves. But, you know, yeah. hey, get a championship out of him if you can. But now he's been he's been he's been oddly respectful, by the way. He's been like very like, I don't know if it's the the being here as a senior statesman. I don't know what part about it is. And you could be right. But uh, it definitely feels like sometimes it's just about it being a good match. And for some reason, based on who he is and how his attitude, how he carries himself, it's it's just mixed well here with with the group of guys that we have. Because he's still here. When he leaves, you remember what I told you. Watch. Don't you worry. He um <laughs> now uh now now what what Fat did in the in the game seven going into Philadelphia and and you guys going in there and taking those two games is incredible. I mean you 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 retired Mad Dog, which I'm you know I'm glad you didn't retire because I happen to like Mad Dog. I would be pissed if he, if he didn't retire. <laughs> you retired Mad Dog, but it was so unlikely that a game seven a rookie. I figured he'd go two three innings. And then you'd go to your bullpen. He pitched great. Do you think they will run a bullpen game out there in this series? I'm not a fan of the bullpen game, by the way. I'm not, but Rob Thompson wasn't either. And I think that that was a reason why. I mean, Rob Thompson made it very known, well known. He hates bullpen games. He hates playing against them, and he hates doing them himself. I think Tori Lavallo figured out after a while that this bullpen is something he can he can trust this bullpen, and he he can go to them for games like this. But he's had to. It's not, it's not like a crazy uh, theory that he's come up with. It's not like some sort of master plan he concocted. The Diamondbacks didn't have five starting pitchers at, at times during the season. Literally, they still don't. did not have five healthy starting pitchers. You know, um, so they uh, they basically had to figure out a way to get it done. And I think that uh, that's that's the case here. Is they they do have guys that they could start. You know, Ryan Nelson. Uh, was a starting pitcher for this team at one point, but I think he just prefers to go to the the flexibility now. Uh, probably see Joe Mantiply go out there and get that first inning again, or or play the matchup depending on you know lefty righty matchups. But I, I think that that's uh, it's it's just something he has to do. Like I'm sure if he had a better option, he would go with it. But it, it's it's just kind of the roster that he's left with. Yeah, you got to piece it together, and you could very you could see one of these games also falling apart early. And you, you end up in the bullpen second. Yeah. That's how good the lineup is for the Rangers. And then all of a sudden you're just yeah. in a bullpen game. You know, it's six nothing or something. And you're fighting from behind. What do, what do they have to do? Do they have to take one of these two games in in in, uh, in Texas and games one and two? What do, what do you think they have to do here in this first two games? I, I, I think you, that, yeah, as as far as the, the start goes, I mean, in, in order for them to kind of get that confidence, getting one of those two would be huge. I mean, going back to Arizona and having three in a row, I, I think uh, at least allows them to not worry if they don't get those first two, to not panic, to not think that they have to do something drastic in order to try to win. Uh, it was feeling that way during that Philadelphia Phillies series. There was talk about bringing Zach Gallon back out, and Gallon was not very good in that series, but they talked about you know pitching him earlier on short rest. Uh, they, they, they thought about doing a lot of things, especially after – you know, they got, they got thumped in that second game, but they somehow found a way to get things back on track. And I think a big part of it was 
limiting the Phillies offense. You know, it really felt like once we kind of, if we, if we could keep the Phillies in, in a, in a sub four run game that the Diamondbacks would have a chance in it. And I know that sounds like crazy, but it, it just is did it <laughs> and common sense, and common runs, sense, but it's, runs in the two. it's, yeah. Right. Runs, and so like and that, seven. that's pretty much all they could do because there was no way they were going to win a, a slug fest with this team. They Diamondbacks just don't have the consistency at offense. They they can show up. They hit four home runs in one inning during that Dodgers. Yeah, series, right? right. But then, <laughs> right, but right. then they'll disappear completely. And that's, I almost think like as frustrating as that's been to watch this team this year where they, they are so inconsistent offensively. I think it's something they've grown used to. They know that honestly, we might not put up more than two runs tomorrow. They might not put up three runs tomorrow. You know, like they, they have a belief in themselves, but again, they've been playing these high leverage games to try to get them into the playoffs for so long that they they've kind they're kind of used to this, you know? And I think that that's, maybe why this playoff run has been has has been the way it is like yeah you could say they they don't know any better or you could say they're just used to going into every game like it's a must win even though it's not really a must win but going in and approaching it like it's a must win i think that's one of the reasons why you see you see teams like the Braves and the Dodgers and the Orioles for example lose in that first round is because baseball's an everyday every single day type of thing you play it every day for, for yes. 6 7 months and then all of a sudden now yeah. you got 10 days off and then you got to, you got to pick it up and it's a short series too. It's three out of five. You lose that first one and all of a sudden you're reeling and you can find yourself in a, in a hole. And that's what happened with the Dodgers and, and with the Braves on the, on, you know, on the other side. But now yeah. let's be real. The, the, our, you guys were, you guys were dead and buried if it wasn't for an eighth inning home run. Cause you had, you had wheel of waiting, right? You had that eighth inning home run, three run yeah. homer that kind of saved the series there and explain that. And, and, and tell us about the guy who hit it. Um, I, I can't say enough about this, this team and, uh, <laughs> where they get these offensive stretches from, but, uh, a- Alec Thomas, of course, has been just incredible for this team during this postseason run. I think he has the most home runs, um, right now on the team. And again, that's kind of something that's just been wild because going back, uh, to the end of the season, to the last couple of met, a uh, couple of months, the, the, Thomas struggled. Thomas absolutely struggled at times for this team and uh, for him to come into this uh, series and have the games that he had uh, Gabriel Moreno, again, another guy that had two game winning hits in this series, technically like this, this whole thing was just uh, so unlikely, you know, but I I think too, these are young guys and these are guys that are uh, still forming their identity as players themselves they're still creating these uh i mean these careers for themselves so it's like alec thomas is a guy who has been such a great defender for this team you want him out there but he was hitting close to 200 at one point during the season and so uh you know you 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 kind of he's one of those guys that you kind of sacrifice the offense you know uh for his defense but at one point their lineup just had too much of that going on where you had a lot of guys out there that were good defenders and they just ended up kind of being that black hole for, for the team when they had a rally going or an offensive, uh, any kind of offensive, you know, kind of, uh, output going that there would be certain guys on the team. You could almost consistently plan on stopping it, uh, because they were just struggling so bad. Now, some of these same guys are the ones that are hitting literally game tying home runs and, and becoming legends in the postseason uh, with the stuff <laughs> that they're doing. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you just can't say enough about uh, how exciting it is for them. And I, I know 
I, I have professed that this sounds like loser talk at times, but it's been hard as a fan to even get down, even when they were down, even when things were looking bleak, even when they were down 2 nothing to the Phillies and then down 3-2 and having to go back to the bank and play two games there and expect to win two games there. It, it really has had this feeling of like, damn, I'm just still so proud of these guys that they've made it this far that even if this is it, that's okay. And I think that they might have that same feeling internally, you know, maybe a little bit, and that allows the pressure to be off. Whereas the Philly, the Phillies probably had a sense in game seven of, Oh my God, if we don't win tonight, this is going to be an absolute disaster. And you know, the diamondbacks just really weren't at that position at any point during this postseason run to feel that kind of pressure. Well, I think because you guys, and I had said it uh, like around the trade deadline, you got, you guys are like how the Mets are going to be kind of next year. Okay. Like a year or two you this year, you were a year or two away. From coming, you got all yes. the kids. You know yes. that if you lose this series, you're first of all you're expected to lose the series. Okay, so you so it's not even yeah. you, nobody's picking them to win. They're they're, they're uh, I think they're eight to five uh, favorites. The the Rangers. It's you're not expected to win. You're a year or two away with these guys. You got a young team. You can bring the core back. There's only a couple guys who you're not going to have there. And and the Phillies. You know, the Phillies are you know they're getting older. They 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 were there yeah. last year. The Astros are now done. As that thing's going to start to fall apart as, as the, the manager retired, do you think the manager here and the manager matchup here with Bruce Bochy, obviously an all-time postseason match, uh, manager, is, do you think that could affect the, the, the series? How's your manager? I don't really know too much about him, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Bruce Bochy has so much experience. Tori Lavolo is a tremendous manager. He's a player's manager. He came up within the Red Sox organization. He was a player himself, and they, the players just love him. I mean, if anything, you might say almost to a fault that he's a player's manager, which makes it difficult to, you know, uh, make impartial decisions sometimes when when you're when you view the the young guys on your team so much as family. But Tori, Tori's really changed over the years where, you know, he, he kind of went from a guy that that tend to err on the side of making those managerial decisions to kind of save the player's confidence and, and such. To, to really making some great decisions this year in regards to how he managed this team, how he adapted throughout the season, and especially in the postseason. Uh, so, like, I, I think that Bochi is is incredible, and he deserves all the credit for everything that he's done in his career, and they definitely have the advantage when it comes to to managing and the experience in, in, in the postseason. But I love what Tori Lobolo has been doing. And when you talk about, you know, like, not pulling Brandon Fott early – uh, Brandon Fott was incredible in in game three against the Phillies and there was criticism that Torrey pulled him out too early in that game instead of lot you know and, and he still went five and two-thirds in that one uh, big big part of that has been like like I said earlier his trust in the bullpen he has kind of been going to that you know two times through the rotation for the starting pitcher and then turning to the bullpen just so that that lineup doesn't get a chance to see, you know, what, what that guy has to offer a third time through uh, that, that for a couple of the guys, including Zach gallon and Brandon fought had caused some bad, you know, outings this year. And it, it does for every pitcher, right? Like the more that the lineup gets to see the starting pitcher, the better the chances are. That's why you see those, you know, no hitters third time around. Games all fall Look apart at, yeah. third time in the rotation, sixth inning, seventh yeah. inning. Right. So like that, some of the things Tori has been doing has been fairly genius. And like I said, he's been doing it even with, the you know with with someone like Zach Gallen 
uh, throughout the playoffs, even when he didn't struggle. The the bullpen has been the key, though. The, the, the ability to turn the ball over to guys that you trust 100% to go out there and say, you're going to get one inning, you're going to get one inning, you're going to get one inning, and you're going to get one inning, and know that you can trust those guys to go out there and do their job almost day in and day out. Uh, you know, it's 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 changed the way he's managed. I just don't know if those guys are going to have enough gas to make it one more series because they have asked a lot out of the pen. Yeah, the kids, you know, some of them are kids, you know, they're 22 years old. I used to go out drinking all True. night, not sleep at all. <laughs> and then I'd get up yeah. and I'd go to work. I remember now, those days. <laughs> I have two beers. Yeah, now I have two, three beers and I'm out of commission for three days. But you're gonna hear a I lot hurt of my hip yesterday. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not gonna make it in today. Listen, I can't go to jail for you know for 16, 17 hours. Now listen, you're gonna hear a lot of talk about how this is this is a, a, a terrible matchup. The ratings are gonna be terrible, and the ratings are gonna be bad. Yep. But you know, listen, if you like baseball, it's gonna be a good series. Yes. Who cares about the ratings? You got two great yeah. seven-game series in, in this in the league championship series. You got good pitching going up against a powerful lineup. It's gonna be a good series. Hey, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for you, Derek. Thanks, and uh, yeah. his name is Derek Mantia, Phoenix, uh, PHNX Sports. And the podcast is PHNX Sports, Arizona Diamondbacks. Hey, do us a favor. Kick back Scherzer's ass, too, please. I, I will do that. I will do that please. happily because we have those connections <laughs> to him as well. So uh, we oh, need yeah, to get yeah, over yeah. that hump because I'm still sick of people talking about that. But, yeah, no, this this is going to be fun. It's, like you said, this is going to be young these are these are the stars of the future right here on this Diamondbacks team and the Rangers, and this is fun to get them watch get, get them watch them play for a championship at this point in their career. So uh, forget all that talk. Who wants to see the Astros and the Dodgers again? Nobody. Let's let's not, let's not watch the young kids play and have some fun. <laughs> hey, listen, enjoy it, enjoy it, Derek. Thank you for giving us a couple of minutes. Thanks, let's go Diamondbacks. Yeah, let's go Snakes. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to let everyone know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our website at LockedUpSports.net. Remember, you can also find us on your favorite social media site, on Twitter at LockedUpSports, on the gram at Locked underscore up underscore sports. Join our Facebook group, Locked Up Sports, or on TikTok at Locked Up Sports Show. Now you can catch all the latest from Locked Up Sports anytime. Thanks for listening.